world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. All right, listen, folks, before we get into into it today, uh, I have to to share with you, I've been learning here something that is fascinating. It's absolutely, I had no idea. And... uh, so today, right, right, right now, this moment when I'm recording this—not when you're hearing it—I, I don't know when you're hearing it, but, um, but when I'm recording it, it's February third. And yesterday, um, and the episode you're going to hear today, by the way, uh, which is which is a great conversation with, uh, with Matthew Babin at, uh, at Palantir, um, and we recorded it yesterday on February second. And yesterday, you know, February second was Groundhog Day, of course. Uh, hopefully, you all enjoyed watching watching the movie last night with your families, but. Um, and so, you know, yesterday when I was, uh, you know, just kind of uh, trying to think of clever things to say on the show, I, I, I came across some articles, um, you know, because I wanted to say something about Groundhog Day, and, and I didn't actually. We, ended, we talked about the weather a little bit, but, but I didn't say anything about Groundhog Day because it just it didn't fit in. But, um, but, uh, but here's what I've learned. So there is not just one uh, groundhog meteorologist. Uh, so Punxsutawney Phil, who, uh, you know, I think most people know about, um, he, so Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania, he's not, the, he's not the only one. I mean, I, clearly he is the preeminent groundhog meteorologist, but there are others. And in fact, there appears to be some competition and maybe even some disagreement among the experts as to what exactly, uh, the science is telling us. For example, uh, Punxsutawney Phil yesterday did see his shadow, uh, which of course means that we are in for six more weeks of winter. However, however, folk, uh, Beardly, Beard, <laughs> Beardsley Bart from Beardsley Bridgeport, uh, I guess this is Connecticut. Anyway, Beardsley Bart did not see his shadow when he came out of his burrow Wednesday morning, predicting an early spring. Um, so there's some conflicting information here from the scientists. And, uh, and, and as you look at along here, uh, there's actually quite a lot of, um, there's quite a lot of uh, disagreement here among the experts. And in fact, uh, and one of the more interesting ones is Jimmy the Groundhog, who, let's see, where is Jimmy? Jimmy is, um, is somewhere. I don't know where Jimmy is. Jimmy, but Jimmy also predicted an early spring and and Jimmy has some credentials. So let me so let me tell you about this. Uh, oh, this is in Wisconsin, some prairie Wisconsin, where the temperature was minus 2 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday. Now, Jimmy's also a little bit temperamental because it appears there's a there's a photo here of him trying to take a bite out of the uh, the poor guy that's uh, trying to get him to do whatever the thing is that he does. But um, <laughs> that's actually quite a funny picture. But um, uh, let's see. So they claim here that uh, Jimmy has an has a better than 80% accuracy rating. Uh, so I think, uh, I think, you know, I mean, with all respect to, to, to the one that gets all the spotlight, the, the stardom goes to Punxsutawney Phil, but it appears that there's some others out there with a different opinion. Now, the most interesting 
story that I uh, no undertones in this story at all. Um, so the most uh, the most interesting one here is, and this is where I think maybe it's getting a little ugly, and we are now approaching the days of the Groundhog Wars because uh, let's see where do we have this here, Jimmy? Oh. A famed New Jersey groundhog, a meteorologist who is named Milltown Mel, presumably of Milltown, New Jersey. So Mel died on Sunday, just two days before the big annual Groundhog Day ceremony. I find it very suspicious that the New Jersey groundhog, in this in this atmosphere of a fierce competition among groundhog meteorologists. The one from New Jersey just dies two days before he's supposed to come out and say what's exactly going on. I, this is very suspicious, and I think I'm going to keep an eye on this in future years because I think I think there's something to all this, and uh, perhaps uh, you know uh, future developments will be even more interesting. Anyway, uh, we do have a great conversation coming up for you here today, and we're going to talk about. A few things, uh, including uh, you know, including but not including but not limited to uh, the uh, what they're doing with with the folks over at BP and what they what they have been doing and what they are doing now and and it's a good story because uh, well as you know this is the place where we talk about people who are getting digital done so it's one of those uh, that we like to have and which by the way welcome to the oil and gas global oil and gas global no the oil and gas digital doers podcast. Brought to you right here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, which is made possible, this particular show, by our very good friends at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And you've heard me talk about HPE before. They're good friends of OGGN. They're good friends of the oil and gas industry. And they got some. They have some great capabilities. In fact, they got a thing called Green Lake. Now, I know that sounds intriguing, and I know you're going to want to go look this up, especially if uh, if you've got anything to do, if you're in this industry or any similar industry, and you've got anything to do with with what all is happening with computers and networks and things out in these operational environments, what we call OT, um, then you, you really need to learn about GreenLake. And you can also, uh, I mean, you can go to, to hpe.com and you can uh, look for GreenLake and you can learn all about it. But um, you can also stay tuned to this show because, not not today, but in a, in a very soon upcoming episode, we are going to have uh, an executive from from a, a very well known industrial company, and they're going to talk about their digital transformation. Uh, uh, I hate to use the word journey, but it's it's kind of trendy. But anyway, that's what they're going to talk about, and Green Lake plays a role. So uh, so stay tuned and listen for that. All right, back to the program. Uh, what do we? I think uh, yeah. So Matt and Palantir and BPR. Right, yeah, I think I told you about everything already. So. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGG and welcome to Matthew Abaddon. And here we are, as promised, with Matt Babin from Palantir. Is, is it is it just Palantir or is it Palantir Technologies? I can't remember. I, Palantir Technologies, officially. That's the complete yeah. name of the that's company, the, right? But, I mean, but like... Palantir. Like just around the neighborhood, we just say Palantir. Right? Yes. So anyway, yeah, so yeah. so Matt, thanks for uh, making uh, making time to uh, be. I know we've been planning this for a little while, so I appreciate you making time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, and you are uh, you're beaming in from sunny, warm Washington D.C. today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, at least the D.C. part is true. Yeah, there is still 
still yeah. snow on the ground here but there's snow on the ground well so here in houston uh, of course we were talking about this already when we were chatting but uh, everybody is uh everybody's in um buckle down mode because the temperature is going to drop tonight to something below freezing and and we used to not worry about that but ever since that little thing that happened last year around this time or February, everybody's a little bit more touchy when the cold weather comes. How, how cold does it have to get in D.C. for people to actually start to like worry about it? Um, to, to raid the grocery store for toilet paper and bread, it has to be the threat of a half an inch of snow, and, and that'll set everybody. That'll do it. That'll, that'll do it. So I think D.C. Yeah. and Houston are similar in that regard. Well, you are yeah. almost, I mean, you know, you're there right on top of Virginia, so you're almost in the south. Yeah. I mean, sort of. I kind of forget about that. I was there one time some when you, some years ago. Really, I was in Baltimore when the wind, the summer was so like it was a really hot summer. I think it was. I want to say it was 2006, and there were brownouts because of the in the, around Baltimore City because of the heat. So I don't know if that's a normal thing. But that that's better now. But it is it is a great place to live to complain about the weather because. Summers are too hot. The winters are too cold. Winters are too cold. Yeah. There's a month in spring that's beautiful, and the cherry blossoms bloom, and that keeps everyone here for, for a year. Yeah. I've seen the cherry blossoms, and it is it is it is something to be seen. Okay, enough about the weather. Um, uh, so we're gonna talk today. We so you got a great story, and uh, about what you guys are doing with BP, and um, uh, which has been public for a year, but uh, turns out you've been working with them for a long time. So we want to hear about that. But before we get into that, so a little bit about you, besides being in, in Washington, D.C., I know that you've been with Talenteer for quite a while, like 10 or 12 years or something like that. But I also saw, I, I think you've done like some some teaching, right? Like Stanford and Georgetown or something like that. And then you and then you got this something about working for the government as an analyst, but it seems very vague. Like I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> what, I couldn't sort that one out there. I didn't, couldn't really put my finger on what that was. Yeah, great. Well, I'll, I'll unpack a little bit of it. And I think um, there is a there is an arc through them as, as convoluted as it might be. So, uh, okay, um, yeah, so uh, went to, to school and grad school out in California, started teaching while I was in grad school there. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, got recruited by the government uh, to work in the intelligence space. And that's what led me out to D.C. In, in, back in right, 2005. Sure. Um and ended up spending about half my time um, deployed overseas, which uh, was, I was working on Iraq the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a complicated problem. It was a fantastic team to be, yeah. to be a part of. Um, and I came back from a deployment and uh, uh, ran into some friends from school who were actually very, very early employees at, at Palantir. And they said, hey, you should come look at this software we're building. And so I went out to this nondescript office park out in the beltway of Virginia in Tyson's Corner for people who know where that is and Mm -hmm. went up to a room that had basically, you know, a case of Red Bull and one beanbag. And they're like, look at this. And they show me a (laughs) prototype on a computer. And I was like, hey, that that looks awesome. You know, this is this is what I thought I'd be using when I took this job. And they said, you should come work with us. And I said, and do what? And they said, I have no idea. Um, And I was like, well, that's. It's an interesting offer, but I, I love what I'm doing. <laughs> I know it's important. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing that. Um, left again, yeah. came back again, uh, and and on that second, uh, second trip, really realized like building up a software platform that that everyone who did what I did could could use would be would be fascinating. Um, and so uh, joined up with Palantir after that when I when I got back. Yeah, that's um, okay. So I see the arc. Um, Red Bull and a beanbag. That yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but, but you joined to, to be an analyst. So, so, so you took the job to be an analyst. 
and you almost immediately got deployed. I mean, that is the Jack Ryan story. I mean, that's basically it. Like, like, like you're out there going, I'm just an analyst. Like, how do I, how, yeah. how I, I write, write, I write papers. I write um, papers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what I think, um, what I think is, is interesting about both things and, and is unique in the, not unique, but also, you know, a, a hallmark of the oil and gas space as well is like, they're both spaces that there's more data than you know what to do with, yeah. right? Like as right. an analyst, you, you are getting inundated with data and it's like, you're, yeah. you're not at a lack for data, but you still have tremendous amounts of uncertainty. It's like more data doesn't make you more certain. No. You still have to make a judgment. And I think the, you know, what we try to do from the software side is like, how do you enable humans to make those decisions, those operational decisions? And, and in oil and gas, you have, I mean, I think oil and gas sort of leads the way with high density data. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, people don't always seem to have a, an appreciation for for that. I mean, how, how complex it is. Um, and, and, and you guys are spread out across a bunch of different industries, right? So maybe do a little bit, do a little background on Palantir and, and, um, and not just in terms of oil and gas, but what is, what is Palantir all about and what are all the different, where are all the different places that you're working? Yeah. Um, so we started back in 2004, um, and it grew out of PayPal, actually anti-fraud technology, um, uh, which was, you know, um, actually feels relevant to current events. It was sort of like PayPal okay. started and, and they were losing a lot of money to the, the Russian mafia. <laughs> and when you have limited <laughs> venture capital funds and you're giving $10 away for every account, um, yeah. that's, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. and so, and everyone in the online payments space was, was losing money this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people try That's to solve interesting. it. That's interesting. I guess it makes perfect sense. I never really thought about it, but yeah, sure. Of course they were. I yeah. mean, it wasn't in the headlines really, but yeah. 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 And so, you know, uh, Western Union had online payments, credit card companies, and they were trying to solve them the way you catch fraud in those sort of legacy domains. So how do you look for fraud in credit card transactions? How do you look for it in wire transfers? But this was a different space. And so what, hmm. what the founding team uh, that then started Palantir did at PayPal was how do you enable humans to ask new and innovative questions? over this mm-hmm. data set all the time, right? Because you're using, you're, you're catching people who are changing their yeah. attack vectors all the time. Um, and so that grew out into the, the core of our, our platform that we took to the government that we call Gotham. Um, that's the side mm-hmm. of the house I worked on up until 2014, actually, mm-hmm. um, sort of like building up that business in national security. Uh, and then we built up our commercial business, um, you know, sort of in parallel. Our business right now is about half and half, um, yeah. government and commercial. Um, Gotham largely in the government context, foundry right. in the in the uh, commercial context. Right, um, right. Yeah. Um, I always love it when we can have a conversation that involves the words attack vectors. <laughs> <laughs> it just means like we don't get to say that very often. Yeah. But changing their attack vectors. So um, yeah, okay. So and, and you mentioned okay, so the commercial side, so the government side came out of the came out of the uh, that uh, fraud detection uh, world, which, uh, as you said, like lots of data, right? Um, and uh, and then you and and found and so Foundry is what like like if we're gonna and we're gonna talk about the BP story, but that's 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 what they're working with. I, and I'm I, I'm not as familiar with all of your different offerings, yeah. but that's the that's the and, and we don't want to do like we don't want to we don't want to make you do a like a sales pitch right now and like like off the cuff but <laughs> yeah. but uh <laughs> but because we really want to hear about the story so but in, in general the kinds of stuff that you're doing um in oil and gas or in energy now we're kind of broadening the conversation a little bit because it turns out 
And, that, and other forms of energy, we have a lot of the similar kinds of challenges and, and, and things to figure out how to do as an oil and gas. But but what are you... Um, um, so, I, and I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, your focus there is in the operational world, right? Yeah. I think when we're, you know, we're, we really focus on deploying the platform in the government or commercial context into operational decisions, like real world things. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a hallmark of the work in the government side was... How do you fuse intelligence with operations? Like people, ha- you have to make a decision. It's not just academic. You're either going right, right, right. to run this operation or not. You're going to do this thing. Um, and so, in the commercial context, it's it's the same, right? How do you how do you deploy software into the space where people are making making these operational decisions? Right? It's decisions that have trade offs. They have impacts. They actually they make physical things on the earth move. Things are created. Things are changed. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the space that that we live in. So I'm so I'm curious. I want to ask you, and you kind of you you kind of hinted at this a little bit already, but um, so coming in from a completely different world, um, what so what did you think about as you got acquainted with oil and gas and energy? Um, so so what what were your thoughts like as you looked at this domain and the challenges and things? Uh, I'm just curious. Somebody coming from that data um, analyst type of standpoint, what what did you see when you looked over here in our yeah. corner of the world? I mean, I think like we're, especially with with larger institutions, it, it sometimes feels like working with a with a government agency. Sure, it's like or worse. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they're they're very very large. Um, you have lots of different businesses inside of it, just like you have different mm-hmm. sort of uh, departments inside a cabinet level agency, and right. the level of expertise in those individual units is super high. Right, you have people who've. They've sure. gone to school. They've gone to grad school. They've, they right. are experts in their field. Um, and then they have, you know, where I think then it diverges a little bit is in the government context, what you see there is a lot of sort of human capital in people's brains, right? Because um, yeah. the, yeah. the tool set is all the same. Everybody's writing papers <laughs> um, or, or briefing books. And, and what I saw that I saw was so interesting was you had so many sort of fit for purpose but bespoke and then highly siloed tools. So you have a great tool for... Reservoir modeling. You have a different, right. great tool for um, base management operations. You have something different for projects mm-hmm. and planning. You have something different yeah. for financial. You're, simpl- you're simplifying this because the the accurate thing would be you have you have twelve really good tools for <laughs> reservoir modeling, yeah. and you have t- well, <laughs> and, yeah. they, and they all integrate seamlessly. Yes, exactly. So, but but I get the point, right? Yeah, yeah. So so you're describing. Um, um, you know, so anybody who hangs around oil and gas for five minutes will, you'll, will, you'll end up having a conversation about three things. And I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, but, but we always end up talking about three things. One is data, one is silos, and one is culture. And mm-hmm. so we've, so we've already talked about data, and you're already talking. What you're describing is the silos, right? Um, we'll get to culture, I'm certain, before we get to the end of this discussion. So, so you looked around and you said, "Here's all these like very specific things," and, and so what? Yeah, and then I think the the second thing, uh, and it's related, is then you look at it and you're like, how how do you how do you get humans to operate with this much data flying at them, right? Like, and because you've you have these people who are excellent at what they do, they want to mm-hmm. do the very best work they can, um, but they're spending so much time going to look for things, going to look in different systems for data, or going to look for different yeah, sort yeah. of like analytic results that you know 
the bulk of their time is looking rather than thinking or doing or deciding. Or taking um, the data out of this spreadsheet and putting it into that spreadsheet, right? So you, yeah. have a, so you have a very highly skilled, highly paid geophysicist who is spending how many hours a day? Like, Retyping. Like, yeah, <laughs> typing, typing. Right, and, and then every time you do that, you're, you're breaking a connection to something that's live, you're turning it into something static. If you're pulling a model, you don't know like, well, why is this coefficient here? Like, where does this number actually come from? Right. Um, and this is very analogous to, to sort of what we used to see in the government context of, all right, I'm pulling data of one system, I'm building up this briefing book, I'm gonna go give a briefing to the NSC right. or the White House, and it's like, well, where did that come from? Well, now you gotta pull the trail all the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think this is why, you know, we've, at first, when you think of sort of national security and then, you know, field development planning, they're totally different spaces. But from a, from a software perspective for us, they're very, very similar. It's like you, you have a mission objective that you're trying to achieve. And then it's like, how do you get more and more time back to the people who are best at executing that plan, building that plan and executing it? Right. Um, that's and in so and in doing that, you're also you're flushing uncertainty out of the decision making process, and you're you're speeding up the cycle times and all that stuff. That uh, and the uncertainty part is something that I think people don't always appreciate about about oil and gas. And if you haven't been in the industry, um, the 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 degree of un, the degree of uncertainty that's incorporated into the decisions that that entails such high stakes is. You know, like not for the faint of heart, and and these people do it. You know, have done it for years, right? And they and they do it all the time. But but there's there's the the risk is huge on yeah. on, on some of these decisions, right? So that's uh, so not unlike you know perhaps um, you know uh, foreign policy or international security or something like that. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing that's that's similar between the two, I, I agree with you about all of that, is also the. Um, you know, how do you learn from each decision you take, right? So when you're confronted with a similar situation, you know, what did I decide last time? And then what was the impact of that decision? Yeah. Um, and are the variables that influenced me to make one decision rather than the other, like, have those stayed the same? Have they changed? Is that because data has changed, because my model has changed, because my asset has changed? Um, and, and being able to have that sort of combined operational view while still slicing out each different parameter, um, I think is highly yeah, highly yeah. valuable. Well, yeah, and you get into another thing too there, which is the the history factor of oil and gas. I mean, you have um, you have fifty years. You know, certainly, 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 you have twenty five years of functioning. I guess I would say functioning data at any given time. Um, but you know, you have like some of these assets. Um, uh, so sometimes. Just knowing where the data was that you used to make this decision some years ago, right? Like, like do you guys run into that where it's not just all the data that's coming at me right now, but there's also this historical data that I also need to be able to incorporate into things, and that's that's like a whole other set of problems for people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> there was uh, there was one operator that I worked with some years ago uh, who um, was looking at developing, going back to a particular field and and reworking some, it was offshore. I won't say who it was. And, um, and in order to make the business decisions about what they were going to do, they needed to see, uh, the project, the, the, the exploration, the seismic and modeling and everything, all the project data from the last time that they were working there, which was some years prior and they couldn't find it. So they just didn't do it. 
<laughs> like, well, we can't. We don't know where it was. We don't know yeah. where it is. It's it's on some guy's computer somewhere. We don't know where it is. Yeah, so, well, that's better uh, than in in bankers' boxes in a warehouse somewhere. We, sure, sure. Presumably, you could get to it. So, all right. So that's the that's the scenario. Um, and you guys, so we so we can see how uh, and and you're and so you're working with customers, and I know that Palantir is building these. Um, these platforms to kind of address a lot of that. Uh, but instead of spending a lot of time on the details of that, let's talk about this BP story, So, um, which is public. So it, I always get excited when somebody can actually talk about us, like a customer that, because so, so many times in the industry, as we were talking about before, you can't really do that. Um, and so what's the, and, and you've been, and and you've been working with BP for a little longer than what's been in the news. So what's so what can you just about the business context there? Like what were the what were the drivers? What did, somebody I hate to use buzzwords, but somebody at BP said we need to be able to do this, and mm-hmm. um, and and you guys showed up and said we can do that. What what was the what was the business context? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it you know we've been there since 2014. Um, so we're gonna. Great partnership. Um, so that, that's before we even said digital transformation. That's before we even started <laughs> using those those words, right? Because yeah, and yeah. I think it's I think it's a credit to the you know a bunch of um, people who who have been and are in leadership over there on on sort of their vision for the future e- even back then um, on on how they wanted to use technology and and what they wanted to do. Um, we came in then and, and worked on a variety of projects across across the business. Um, some of which were very targeted. Um, you know, there was a specific one in in the upstream space around um, you know, the process of of a well review, um, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. you know is is a thing that it, you know it's it's funny in twenty twenty two it doesn't sound that exciting to talk about in in twenty fourteen the idea of revolutionizing that process was was yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. fascinating which was right, right. Um, but it was a very pragmatic view it was sort of hey I have I do this process and it takes a certain amount of time of my best engineers and it takes a lot of time away from what I want them doing I have to go look for data in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. I then pull it out of dynamic places and, and land it in static spreadsheets. And then we look at those and try to make a decision. But so, data, some of it gets pulled out of other places, by the way, but that's another, that's a whole <laughs> yeah. other variable in, the, in yeah. the process, yeah. Yeah, and then that, you know, that data, so it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time away from doing other things. Um, and you're already looking at a degraded view of data by the time you do that. That data's sure. already out of date, right? right and so, right. you know, one of the original prompts was just like, how fast can you make that? Like, can you take it from weeks to days? Can you take it from days to hours? And where we ended up was then it's a real-time, you have a real-time view of this all the time, right? So all of the data associated with your asset is available to anyone in that department. So that had to be mind-blowing for some people at the time. I mean, so assuming you didn't, all right, so you started in 2014, assuming you didn't, implement that instantly I don't know let's say what did you like spent a year or two on it something like that 2014 2015 somewhere around a, there a couple yeah. months yeah yep. Co- or a couple months okay a couple months really a couple months for the first region yep okay 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 so so somewhere around 2014 2015 all of a sudden you have real time view of I mean, I mean that had to be mind blowing for some people I would think right yeah um yeah, and I think this this hits on. You said we talk about culture. <laughs> I think we're we're hitting <laughs> it uh, earlier told, earlier than I, I promise. Thought we might. Um, and I think when you do transformative activities like that, they can be mind blowing both a a, uh, a way that accelerates things or a way that makes things a little bit harder, right? And we were really okay. lucky to have fantastic sponsors there that were saying, "Look, we have a vision for what we want to be, um, but we're not going to tell anyone that they have to use this, right? They're going to mm. 
you're going to have to prove that this is this is worth right. doing. Like, there's not right. going to be a mandate. Um, and I think that really um, put the focus on then, like, what the user experience has to be like, and and how yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's easier. Because it is, you know, even if it's faster, um, humans are humans, and and people have regular ways of working, and they're used to doing <laughs> things. And especially, you know, in a, yes. in a large organization, whether that's a government organization or a commercial organization, and things kind of go go up the chain it's like well wait can i do this differently can yeah, i do yeah. this thing that we've done forever in a different way right um the other piece and then and then where we sort of quickly went was well what are all of then the the sort of more valuable sort of more action oriented or dynamic decisions you can do on top of that data foundation and that's yeah. that's where we really then started to see a lot more pull and and engagement yeah and that and that's really sort of the the unifying theme of digital transformation all around the industry um, is it kind of, uh, I, I mean, with some variation, but for the most part, a lot of it centers on how do we do, um, not, not so much create more data, because as you said, there's already plenty of it, but how do we take all the data that we, that we currently generate, that we have generated for years, and do more things with it, right? So rather than that data just serving, because even when you did the, the real-time thing for the well review right you're still that data is still serving the function for which it was created you're just making it faster right but then the next step is how do we take data and use it in for other things besides whatever function it was it was created to serve and make the business the business smarter and 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 do all of those good things so what um, which is kind of where I mean that's kind of where you guys where your head is at in terms of a lot of the stuff that you do across multiple industries, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's sort of you know can you do things that you have to do more efficiently? That's that's table stakes, and then and then across the work we do is just okay. What what do you want to do that you haven't been able to do before? Um, and and I think that that hits sort of this, um, and especially at organizations of this size, like the collaborative things you're mm-hmm. trying to do, like. These decisions that have trade-offs across different lines of business that live in different sort of areas of expertise, how do you enable organizations to do that better uh, and do that better and better over time? That's yeah. that's exactly what we try to do. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play uh, not really devil's advocate, but I'm gonna play the part of the person who's listening to this going, <laughs> Yeah, we've heard that one before, right? Yep. Um, but but you but you do work across. Uh, a number of industries and um, and I was saying this I think before we uh, turned on the tape recorder here that uh, um, that that oil and gas has become more the people in in the industry have become more open to learning from uh, other industries as of late right how do do, do people in other industries deal with this this or that problem so what um, so is that um, so when you start using those fancy words about like <laughs> the words you know, that everybody how, uses yep, yep, <laughs> right. yep. like like is that real life does that really happen out there in other parts of the world does that does it does, is, or is that just like what consultants talk about no I, I mean I, it does right and I mean obviously the answer what, is yes yeah right. yeah, yeah yeah no but I think like let's talk about <laughs> examples and so I think right. um, you know we can, we can talk about one in, in oil and gas first um, and then move on from there but I, so I think like from the well review then, um, and the other fascinating thing about working with BP this long is like from 2014 till 2022, we've gone through, you know, quite the roller coaster of, and your listeners know this better than anyone else, but like 
commodity prices demand yeah. and, and what the market has looked like. And so yeah. it's been a the, fun time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. May, yeah. May you live in interesting times. The, uh, yeah. Um, and so lots of, you know, when prices went down, there was the question of how can I how can I operate these assets more efficiently, just as safely with fewer people, right? I need right. to share across domains. Great. That's one problem. Then it's great. How do I produce more barrels? Right. How can I like, is mm-hmm. this asset optimized and, and what can I do? And that's, um, you know, so we built out a way to look at that, have that data foundation and then interact with an underlying physics based model for the subsurface. Right. Can I produce more from this? Well, without producing more water, what what do those trade-offs look like? What are those operational constraints? That's a fascinating problem. You can do a yeah. lot with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's limited in utility if you're getting backed out on the top side, right? Which is right. an entirely different domain. There's a different model there. There are different constraints. And those live in different places. There's different tools. Yeah, yeah, different. Yep. Like, you don't have people who can do them together. Um, and then there's just the, the third operational bit, like, who's actually there to do these things? And what does the maintenance <laughs> schedule look like? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, when does the truck come by? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and wait, that relies on a piece that has broken more often yeah. over the past six months than right, than right. before. And so, right. where that moves to now is that we've we've basically built a, you know, for lack of a um, a buzzword again, but I can't think of a better word. Like what I would call an operational digital twin of, okay, great. You can you can start that decision at any part of that chain. So you can start from can I produce more from this well, or you can start from can't do I have more capacity on this facility or what does my maintenance schedule mean for things that I can do yeah. and then from from wherever you start there get back what are the constraints what constraints do you have movement over and then use that to to make this decision and then to everything you were saying evaluate that decision over time track that series out into the future and and this is a thing where they've seen sort of tangible tens of thousands of barrels of yeah of uplift um, you can you can take that same thing and look at supply chain for consumer packaged goods or auto supplies or you know distribution of medical goods over the last year um it's the same problem it's just different different data yeah got it so and by the way uh i think i think it's safe to say that digital twin now has progressed to the point of uh, uh not being not just purely a buzzword but people actually um like so the first time on this show or on the tech show when we would talk about digital twins let's say two years ago um we, we always uh, like we always had to devote part of the conversation to what what does that mean what exactly is that you know knowing that there's like some amount of eye rolling going on in the audience and and lately we don't have to do that anymore like everybody seems to kind of know and I, I think hopefully you see the same thing but what we're seeing is that the, the opportunities to use digital twins of one sort or another are just springing up everywhere in the business like it's like like originally everybody thought about it in terms of you know like a, a big facility being able to use a digital twin for a facility or for some uh, production operation or something like that. But, but we're finding that like digital twin, the opportunity to say, let's have this data over here in a, in a model that simulates the, the real thing so we can like, that's just everywhere, all over the, every like all over the business, we're finding that. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I, I'm, I'm glad we've moved on from the sort of minority report hollow lens, like, can I see this in a hologram? <laughs> and it's like, well, what do you want to do? Um, and I, I think it's true. You know, I'd, I'd agree with you that I the uh, I think that simulation is really key. This mm-hmm. sort of like right. you know, these are to your point before of these these are decisions that are really expensive, and they're really yeah. expensive if you get them wrong. And so, how can you spend more and more time and intellectual energy running these what if scenarios? And then, you know, we see this a lot with well startups, 
Um, is that on, is that is that helicopter on my side or on my end or your end? I think no, that's um, yeah, that's. I think you, I mean you a, said Minority Report and then there was helicopter <laughs> <laughs> sound in the background. No, that's, that's I was a little freaked out. But no, but you were <laughs> Marine One Marine One training flight over the Potomac. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, All right. All right. I'm, I'm I'm back to normal now. Anyway, but what you were saying was actually very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you hear the helicopter on your end, then you can then, then you can be worried. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But yeah, I think this idea of being able to, you know, how do you run high fidelity simulations? in advance of these big operations. Uh, and so, as I was saying, like we see this a lot on well startups, right? Mm-hmm, on like, mm-hmm. great, I'm, I'm interacting with these models. I have this wealth of historic data. I have um, analog wells that I'm looking at and I've simulated sort of all of these future test cases of what might happen. And not only have I simulated that, I've, I've acted out my responses. And so you, you can think of this as like imagining lots of branches of the future and then yeah, fire it up. And sure. you can see sort of like, I'm in scenario B, I take decision F, um, and and then I'm 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 good to go. Yeah, and as I think you said early on in this conversation about how do we enable humans to, uh, I don't remember you said you had a better way of saying it, but enable humans to to do what they need to do with the data better, and um, and and that's exactly the thing, which is those simulations don't necessarily make the decision for you; they help you understand the risks associated with this one, the benefits associated here, the, the like it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, as humans, we can do a lot of that. It's it's amazing when you get smart people who are really experienced. The degree to which they can do that in their head is really, really impressive. But that's yeah. not really that's not a scalable uh, approach. Yeah, there's right? so I, many of those people. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, and those people are only seeing some percentage of your assets. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, exactly. how do you how do you get that frame of thinking over over, over a higher over percentage? Broken. Yeah. Um, the other piece that I think is really interesting there is that. I agree with you, and I think humans are great at finding patterns. It's a thing that, like, there's a lot of yeah, research on. Yeah. Humans are better at yeah. identifying patterns even than computers, because computers live in randomness. But it can be hard then for humans, especially if you're stressed and you're working all the time. Like, sure. how, how are you creative at thinking of things for the first time? And so, um, this is a, a world where we've set up sort of great. So you've you've run those simulations. You you have those objective functions you want to maximize. Mm-hmm. You go home, or you go to a different part of your house if you're working from home have the system run thousands of permutations overnight, tweaking each of those constraints by a minute amount, and then present you with options the next morning. Like, hey, you've taken decisions like this before, or you've modified yeah. things like this. Right, Can you right. do this? And then you then those go back into a human workflow of, yeah, I want to talk about that, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's good stuff. Okay, so um, um, it, it is now 2020, it's now 2022. Um, you're still working with VP. So since 2014, by the way, I forgot to I forgot to comment how 2014 was a very interesting year to start a new relationship with a oil <laughs> company, but yeah. but it that, was. Yeah, we we call that uh, well, really it was the end of 2014 when everything, you know, kind of bottomed out and 2015 was I was in the business of trying to sell uh, well, like market and sell some software in some of these very specific science and engineering dom- domains that you mentioned. And 2015, we refer to that now as the year of drinking lunches. Because <laughs> there, was, there was nothing to do. There was just nothing to do. So the fact that you had a fish on the hook is actually fantastic. But, um, but now it's 2022, you're still working with them, which means 
they haven't thrown you out yet, which means some of the, these promises of this business value has come true, right? <laughs> so what? So what's the? So what has it evolved to? What kinds of things um, are are you able? And and you mentioned you said you know 2014 maybe, you know doing that with well review wasn't that spectacular or it isn't spe- as spectacular now as it was then. So so what? So what exciting things are going on now? Yeah. Um, so I, what I think is fascinating is um, you know. It, BP, as, as so many companies are saying now, is they're an energy company, not an oil yeah, company. Sure. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that's that's new and different is actually, um, you know, how can we help accelerate them on this transition journey? Um, and I think there's there's different levels of, of what that looks like. One mm-hmm. is for everything that we've that we've done in the the sort of upstream and downstream space for them. How do you put carbon on top of that? Um, so rather than this question of how do I produce right. more barrels from this asset, it's how to produce the right barrels, right? Or, or can I produce more barrels with less carbon? Um, yeah. Or how do I want to mitigate emissions in sort of across my production chain? Um, right. So that's a new phase uh, mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. you know, and I think what's what's interesting is 2014, that wasn't even the realm of what we're discussing. It's a huge right. part of what we're doing now. And when I right. think then a sort of, well, what does 2030 look like? Like, what are we not even talking about now that's going to yeah. be that, that big? So 2014, um, not in the realm because it wasn't it wasn't really because um, because the business driver wasn't there yet, or because nobody imagined that you could do these kinds of things that we're doing now. I think more the latter. I, you know, I yeah. think it's just like the the idea of layering layering carbon onto this sort of pressure system. That's now easy to to think of when you can see the entire pressure system. If you can't see that, then the idea of well, how do you how do you do that without just creating one more slice? Yeah, okay. So, so describe that a little bit. So, so what do you mean by seeing the entire, I think I know what you mean, but it sounds interesting. So seeing the entire pressure system. Yeah. Um, so when we talked about that, that workflow previously, this idea of sort of, I have a view of the subsurface that mm-hmm. that's backed by a model. I have a view of the top side, right? I have a few of right, sort of right. how those pieces interact and, and how um, optimizations or simulations from, from one, uh, sort of feed into the other. Um, mm-hmm. You can now not only can you do that with a production function, but you can do it with an emissions function as well. But I think the idea of sort of if in 2014 I would have said, well, what is what is a carbon footprint of this well review? <laughs> like, how how are we going to talk about carbon in the scope of this well review? Right. It, it would have just been too hard to do. Yeah. So 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 how do you so in terms of I, I mean, without getting uh, too deep into the technical. Um, how, how do you? I mean, I guess where I'm coming from with this question is this whole notion of layering carbon into anything just constantly seems to be very squishy because <laughs> what exactly is the data and where does it come from and what does it represent, right? I mean, I could take a pressure reading, um, you know, from the ground, <laughs> yep. and I and I and I know what the units of measure are, and I know and I have instruments that can that can measure that, right? But this whole carbon thing is just sort of like like people talk about it all the time, but I, ha- I never really hear anybody describe like like what is that data? Where does it come from? How do you use it? How do you know what it represents? Yeah, so I'll speak in general terms here because I think everyone does this a little bit differently, but I, I think my answer would be would be the same in either way. So I think like the way we think about this and the way I, I think about it, going back to sort of our foundational ideas as a as a software company is um, you're you're never going to have perfect data, but you can always sort of do better with the data you have. And so I agree with you that I think there's lots of places you can get mm-hmm. 
the data that will drive those calculations, right? Cool. Some of it will be actual production data, some could be um, calculated right. estimates, some would be consumption of fuels um, or things like that. But I think the beauty of software that's sort of backed by a granular data foundation is you don't have to take any, any uh, you don't have to lose any of the granularity or specificity of your data like you do in, in most sort of general calculators or if, if you're doing yeah. this in Excel, right? So everywhere where you're averaging, instead you're taking actuals. Um, and what we see in a lot of our customers, even outside of oil and gas, is particularly for the, the carbon calculation or the emission space, there's a big lag between operational data and then assured data, right? Because this, yeah, yeah. this is sort of regulated and reported data that then takes months to get checked and rechecked and certified and then distributed. But by that time, you've, you've taken months and months and months of active decisions. Yeah, uh, so just to pause on that real quick, because this is something else I'm curious about. During all those months of checking and validations, what are they validating against? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, do you know? I like what, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, the, I'd like what's to. What's the reference model exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to use the cliche of like I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. But I don't know actually what they're, <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> I have no idea. But anyway, um, for, right, safe to but, say that it's, it's being checked and double checked and, and all of that. So so right. So in the meantime, yeah. you've lost. You know, yeah, you're 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 months down the road. And yeah, uh, yeah. And so I think like the other the other frame that we have for this is you, you can like how do you turn these things that are are sometimes framed as or decisions into and decisions? So it's like well, I I can look at my carbon emissions or my carbon calculation, or I can make operational decisions because the carbon data lags by nine months. And, and our view is sure. like, yeah, yeah, no, you, yeah. you can do both because you can build your own version of sort of operational carbon calculations based on whatever data is available to you, right? And then there's another question of how do you make more data available to that to that engine and to that system, whether that's production or pressure or, or all the things you're, you're mentioning. Right. Um, and then this gives you a way to test your operations against that assured data when when you add that into the system. And I think, you know, again, large organizations like this, they're going to have different views of who gets to see what data. That assured data may be seen by a much smaller group. Um, but if you're pushing this down to say, look, we want this to be a part of our operations, you have to make that available as a as a data stream to be consumed by operators who are who are doing those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So th- and this gets into and so, are we still on the subject of what what exciting things are happening at BP today? Is it? Yeah. So that's where we start on this. Yeah. Was, so I think the transition yeah. is is the the biggest thing, right? It's a it right, is a right, right, different right. company with a new ambition, um, and 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 that's really exciting to be to be a part of. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that's really exciting is you know to go back in time again, like you said, it was it was an interesting time to have that partnership. Twenty seventeen, we worked on a lot of of major hydrocarbon projects coming online. They, mm-hmm. They'd invested a lot. Um, there were new yeah. projects coming online in Trinidad, new projects in Gulf of Mexico. And now BP is doing a lot of um, big, big major projects in renewables and in new energies. Um, mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there's a fascinating space of, you know, a lot of, when I look at the energy space writ large, I think, you know, it's technical feats of engineering that are kind of unsurpassed by anything except you know, in my mind, the space program. Um, yeah. And I think there's people who in, right. in Houston who are on both sides of that fence who, who would argue either side. Um, yeah. How do you take quickly all of that expertise at complicated engineering, major projects, major project delivery, um, and accelerate 
some of those efforts, right? Because a lot of them, again, from our perspective, are very similar. You have lots of moving pieces, you have lots of trade-offs, you have lots of operational decisions. And how do you see the impact of those chained, connected, dynamic decisions on a massive, complicated, and as you mentioned, sort of like big big risk. Yeah, like yeah. these are big bets on the future. Yeah, uh, and you're getting, I think you're getting to something which uh, is one of my favorite things to point out sometimes, which is when you start talking about solving, um, when you start, so it doesn't really matter what type of energy is in the focus. The, the problem of, like you said, big projects, big decisions, infrastructure, all of that relates to essentially getting whatever the form of energy is out of out of the lab environment and like scaling it and operating it, you know, it, you know, in the world, which is um, which is kind of like a whole different separate domain of problems from like, how do you get uh, the maximum amount of energy out of a solar panel or a oil or wind, right? And, and there are, and it turns out, and it's a very difficult problem to solve. It's a very complex problem to solve. Um, and it turns out that there are people in the world who have experience solving that problem, right? And they, they come from the industry that solved it the first time, right? How do you, how do you get, um, like, like oil doesn't just magically like come out of the ground and go into your gas tank, right? <laughs> like it doesn't. <laughs> like everything involved in making that happen is this huge complex operational, like you said, big projects, et cetera. So are you seeing like some transferability that says, hey, turns out what we learned in the evil oil and gas industry is is like we've learned some skills there and we've learned how to do some things that are transferable to solving that problem kind of across the board. And companies like BP are able to like bring that expertise. I'm, this is my thesis, but like is that is that what you're seeing as you're kind of out there working in these domains? Maze. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's spot on. It's okay to um, say no. This one it's okay to say no to because it was my thing. So. Well, you're certainly right that it doesn't just come out of the ground and then go into my gas tank. So I, I agree with you about that. Um, no, I think, you know, at, at risk of, I mean, especially I think in this last two years or so where every everyone got disrupted in some way, right? For and sure. like how, yeah, yeah. how many supply chains were broken. If you abstract like, well, how many, so much of so many industries is like, you're moving things from one place to the other and what those things are and how complicated it is to create or extract them and mm -hmm. then how much you have to process them. But like, you know, we work with a host of, of airlines, right? Mm -hmm. They're moving people, people and goods, right? Yeah, but yeah. you, you want to get better and better at how you're doing that. And there's a lot of different components of that, of airframes and quality and, and pricing and, and different things. Um, consumer packaged goods and retail, same thing, building cars. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can abstract I think to a certain degree, all of that. And I think if we look at sort of some of the problems that the, or challenges, let's say that the oil and gas industry is now tackling first ahead of everyone else, um, I, I think we, we do see these echoed through more and more of our customers. Like net zero targets came out from a lot of oil and gas super majors first, but now you see more and more different companies uh, other people bringing, are doing it, right, bringing right. those out there as well and looking at the carbon cost of their goods and their supply chain. and what that looks like. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I, I think you agreed with me. That, uh, <laughs> it's the, the idea being that, um, yeah, and, and as you're, I mean, so I have to imagine, well, okay, like, like for example, some of the stuff that you're doing at BP, um, you know, is um, it's, it's, it's solving the operational issues, right? Um, or, or, or helping people to, as you said, make, 
make the right decision or a better decision faster, um, reduce these cycle times, all of these like big um, infrastructure operational types of concerns that, that actually make something work. Um, you know, that, that's, as I said, that, that's a whole different set of problems to solve than just whatever the science or engineering is that goes into producing, you know, the energy itself. So, um, what, any, anything else, uh, any, any other, um, interesting components there as far as that story goes that, or, or maybe what I should ask is if, so if other companies who are maybe not as far along in this, uh, in this journey that you've been on with, VP secretly since 2014. Um, <laughs> do, uh, like advice, guidance, right? Like because there's been a lot of people out there who have gotten frustrated and they've spun their wheels and they've said we tried that and you know um, I think we're past the po- I think we're past the point in history where uh, the CFO looks at somebody and says digital transformation just sounds like one of those new tricks to get me to spend more money, yeah. right? Like like I think we passed that, but there's still a lot of frustration, apprehension, indecision. Like what what can you what can you tell those people besides you know besides call Matt at Palantir, which is the obvious. <laughs> The obviously <laughs> yeah. the most, the best thing to do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> but you assuming, said that. like, if you're already on the phone with somebody else, then what would be the next, the next possibility that I could do? Yeah, um, I, I think you know, m- mine is the, the simplest place to start is just like, what's the problem you want to solve? Um, it's you know, so I think, funny. I think <laughs> it's so funny how we have to remind ourselves of that so often. But yeah, but it's I, true. I, you know, I think there's a there's a host of things um, that I think it can be easy to it can be easy to obsess over like things that are different than you want them to be. Like no one's data is perfect. Everyone has a, yeah. like, a common trap I think is, I, well, I need to do a master data management project and then I'll get to solve these problems. And that's like me saying like, I'm gonna clean out my garage and then I'll do something else. It's like my garage yeah. is never clean, no matter right. how, like yeah. I, there's new stuff in there all the time. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, I think it's like, there's a barrage of like, here's a new shiny thing that does this one thing exceptionally well, which is great if that's your biggest problem and you can use it in an operational way for your business. But I think like the one thing I'd, I'd tell people is what's the thing that you want to change or do differently in your business? And and if that's a thing that you can talk to anyone about, great. That's that's what you should start because yeah. that's, that's what will make a difference. And then I think the second would be, um, you know, I think often people can look at at digital is like, oh, we need to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that companies that use digital best actually use it as a way to amplify their strength. So don't, you're not going to change and be a different company. Like what got you here? Like what makes you win? What makes mm-hmm. you recruit mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. best talent right, that you yeah. have? What makes you excel in what you do best? And then can this further amplify your strengths? Um, I think is a great place to start. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, you're right. You're kind of getting at something, which is that maybe digital, maybe the word transformation wasn't ever really the right word to use. I mean, it, it does make sense in the sense that you, you're transforming the way you work, but but you should be transforming the way you work, not necessarily transforming like who you are, right? Or what, as you said, what makes you win? Although there's a lot of, you know, um, if you look out there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, articles and papers that come out of various famous places uh, where they they use some of this terminology that I think maybe they'll say they'll talk about you know um, uh, new operating models. Um, you know, digital transformation creates new operating models, but most I think most people who are in charge of operations don't um, 
like like they don't live like their headspace is not one where those terms have an immediate like meaning right Mm -hmm. like if i say you know like what what do you mean new operating models right or or they'll say things like uh you need to be reimagining end-to-end workflows well when you (laughs) you say that in oil and gas like like those are fighting words so (laughs) so what you know um uh, do, do you find people uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch your advice column out just a little bit more um, do, do you find people who are still kind of wrestling with like what exactly should we be trying to do here I think you know, abstracting t- uh, across the industry or across our customers I, I, I think I think yes and in times it's sort of like a curse of plenty it's like there's so like the, yeah. the collection front is getting cheaper like it's easier to have more data now it's easier to want right, to do more right. things with it and so um, I think that can lead to sort of these ambiguous, as, as you uh, put it out there, like, well, what, what does a reimagined end-to-end workflow mean? If, and it's, you know, I think, you know, to speak of our own mistakes, years ago, we spent some time building a lot of predictive models. We had a lot of customers coming to us asking, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. can you build me a predictive model for right, preventive right. maintenance or rotating equipment, right? And it's like, definitely. Like, you, you have enough data and enough smart engineers, you can build a model sure, that's sure. 500 yeah. percent better than your old model. The problem is it's often uneconomic, right? Yeah, so it's like, right. great, this gives me intellectual knowledge, but not anything that's operational. And yeah. so I think when I when you talk about end-to-end workflows, I'd say, well, great, well, what end-to-end workflow is it that drives people crazy in your org right now, that, that frustrates people, that makes them want to quit, that says, like, <laughs> we're doing this, and that means we can't do all of these other things? Yeah. Okay, now, can you use technology in a way to improve that? And, right. and maybe not reimagine it, but just improve it. Just make it. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to stretch better. those ends so far that right. it becomes an unsolvable problem, right? Yeah, and, and it shouldn't be starting or ending at a at a random place just because now it fits on a digital roadmap. It should be like, no, the business needs this. Like, yeah, we need yeah, this yeah. to operate to improve our margins. To you know, for a f- business reason. Yeah, my friends at, at some of the management consulting companies will disagree with you, but I think I think that's spot on. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's what needs to happen. All right, so you've been you've been really good at like not uh, talking too much about uh, uh, like we like we've had a really good conversation about what's happening in the industry. So um, and and you've talked a little bit about what you guys at, at Palantir have done. Anything? Uh, this is your chance to like you know do a little bit more of a plug. So what's what's the um, what, what, what with the the work that you're doing? And you've been there for quite a while right like what do you guys win at what is it that what what is it that makes people call you up and say i gotta i gotta get those guys over here yeah yeah um yeah it'll be 13 years in a couple months so it's it's been a while um and i think i think there's two things um one is uh you know when it when you need a thing that has to work and has to work quickly as far as time to value like that's that's a good time to call us. Um, yeah, the two you know, months thing kind of blew me away when you said that at the beginning with VP. Yeah, that was yeah, that was. I that mean, was we've impressive. we've built this platform up for you know the better part of two decades now, um, and that's all in line that when someone calls us and and we get this a lot on the government side that says like I need I need this and I need it tomorrow because yeah. we have this crisis. Right. Um, like that's that's us, um, and I think the second is this idea of these these connected decisions, um, right? Like where, you know, as we were talking about at the beginning, um, this idea of every time in your organization, the data sort of data or analysis or a judgment is, is leaving one thing 
and losing something, losing yeah. latency, losing fidelity, losing attribution. Um, how can you connect those so that everything, and this is this is a little buzzwordy, but I mean it genuinely, it's like everywhere where you feel like, oh, we had like a bunch of these local optimums and then we ended up in a not so great place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Right. Great. Right. It's because you had a lot of people who are doing the very best they could with the best technology they had available, but the, the system and the way you're asking them to work is sort of holding them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you. All right. So I think uh, I, I wish I had a problem like that. I could call you up. But I, <laughs> I, fortunately, I'm, I'm out of those those days are behind me. But um, uh, no, this is really good. I appreciate you. Uh, as I said, I appreciate you making time. We usually, so we'll put some links in the show notes to you know to you and, and your company. Any um, and and if you don't know anything off the top of your head, that's fine. You can tell me later. But if there's anything else, a lot of times when people want to learn more about a particular subject, you know, they don't always just want to like go visit like 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 your oil and gas landing page. Um, what any if there's any other resources where people can can go and learn more about these things or if you're doing if you're doing webinars or things like that or or you got a blog maybe or any, anything like that we can put in the show notes um, Great. or yeah or we any, have any events coming up stuff like that. So if you have any if there's anything that you just like got to say right now like you can say that but otherwise we'll put it you're all all good. <laughs> So, um, all right. Well, well, Matt Babin, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the show and uh, good good stuff. We will. Um, what we might have to do is have you back again. Um, you know, so at some point and 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 get a and get a progress update and see what other <laughs> if and see if you've been fired yet or are they still or <laughs> are they still uh, well? The re- I, I joke about that, but the thing is, is that. Um, the whole reason for this, that we started this show, the Oil and Gas Digital Doers, was we said, okay, and, and we started it about a year ago, and we said, well, you know, the industry started taking oil and gas digital, I mean, started taking digital transformation seriously, probably around 2017. So we should, by now, start to see some, like, fruits of the labors, right? And it sounds like that's exactly, I mean, you're, you're seeing that uh, at BP and presumably other customers, so that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're at about... A- a dozen other places. Uh, BP is the one that there's the most information out there now. Kinder Morgan went public right. with our okay. relationship. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we still, we can't quite shake the, the government secrecy yet. So not a no, talks well, about everything. we don't care about that anyway. So <laughs> it's, good. it's good. It's encouraging to know that we're making progress in the industry. So thanks a lot. And uh, we will have to do it again sometime. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me, Michael. I, I appreciate it. Well, there you have it, folks. Great stuff from from Matt Babin. He had, he had some uh, some great insight. I mean, for a guy from from Washington D.C., I got to say he had some some pretty good insights about uh, what's going on in this industry. <laughs> in this, the problem is it's cold outside, and I'm starting to freeze up. Uh, anyway, he he seems to he seems to get it. He knows what's going on in this industry. Obviously, they're doing some great work with VP. It's always good to hear stories. You know, now that we are. A few years into this uh, whole digital transformation thing, it's good to see that uh, that real people out there are making progress and uh, and seeing value, and and that's why we started this show. So if if you have a story like that, or you know people who have stories like that, then get in touch. Just send an email to uh, Michael at OGGN.com. I will probably get that, and uh, we can get something lined up. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks again to our sponsor HPE. Thanks to all of you for for listening. If you weren't there, uh, then there would be no reason for us to do this so uh so keep listening and 
uh, thanks to the OGGN crew for all the great work that they do, most especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who always makes us sound fantastic. And remember, anytime you start feeling like, um, you know, you start feeling down because because we're just not we're not making enough progress, uh, you know, with all of these all of these great ambitions that we have. That is when you know that you can just come here every week, listen to this show, and you can hear stories about real people who are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. Oh,